0: Welcome to Factor Agri. Here I discuss New Zealand's primary industry, its importance to both New Zealand's social and economic fabric. Each week I talk with farmers and producers, the science community, industry and policy makers to hear their stories and views on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. It is important to recognise the government's acknowledgement of the importance of all genuine sequestration being recognized from 2025. Whilst this is great to see, it will be interesting what is in the detail. From my perspective, sequestration is an area of significant importance in understanding and landing on a net emission profile. This week on Magri, a perspective from an American scientist on carbon offsets. As we all know here in New Zealand, many companies and organizations are using carbon offsets through the ETS. So what is the view of an academic in California on this subject?
1: I'm Barbara Haya, I'm a research fellow at the Goldman School of Public Policy at the University of California, Berkeley. I do research on carbon trading programs and the effectiveness of carbon offsets. Around 20 years ago, when I was a PhD student at UC Berkeley, I was really interested in the different roles of wealthy and poor countries in the Kyoto Protocol and in the Offset Program.
0: The Paris Agreement, as we know, is the UN agreement from 2015 that provides a framework for nearly every country in the world to try to control their emissions. But before the Paris Agreement, there was the 1997 Kyoto Protocol.
1: So the Kyoto Protocol was the first main international global climate agreement under the U.N. that mandated that some countries needed to reduce their emissions.
0: The protocol had some big holes in it. For one thing, the world's biggest emitter at the time, the U.S., never got on board. But it did require some other big industrialized countries to start cutting their emissions.
1: And industrialized countries argued, you know, greenhouse gases are well mixed in the atmosphere, It doesn't matter where we reduce emissions. So if it's cheaper to reduce emissions anywhere in the world, we should be able to do that.
0: If we look at a large country like Germany, a well-off country that has agreed to lower its emissions, you could build a bunch of wind and solar farms to take some of your coal plants offline. But you can't help but notice it would be cheaper to build that same clean energy in India and take some of their coal plants offline. And since CO2 warms the planet, the same in Germany as in India, the planet wouldn't notice the difference.
1: So this carbon offset program was created that allowed industrialized countries to invest in carbon reduction projects anywhere in the world and use the resulting credits towards their domestic emissions reduction targets.
0: So if Germany emitted, say, 10,000 tons of carbon dioxide, more than they said they would, they could buy 10,000 tonnes worth of carbon offsets. They can then say they've met their climate goal. But of course, as we know, this only works if we're sure these offset projects are actually keeping carbon out of the air. So to keep track, every offset program has a registry.
1: Offset registries write the rules. They define a set of project types that are allowed to participate, um, eligibility criteria and methods for estimating emissions reductions. Here in the US, there's California's offset program, there's Quebec's, Australia has one, South Korea, many programs around the world. And then the voluntary market grew from these organizations that wanted to offer companies and individuals a chance to buy these credits to offset their own emissions voluntarily. Most projects on the market are forest projects. These are improved forest management, avoided deforestation especially in the global south and tropical areas that's generating 43 percent of credits on the market today renewable energy is generating almost a third of credits wind power biomass power hydropower around the world and then there's a whole slew of other project types including waste management landfill gas methane capture coal mine methane capture reducing emissions from chemical processes And then around 5% of credits are these smaller community projects like cookstoves projects, clean water projects, solar lighting projects in the rural South that not only reduce emissions, but also provide tremendous benefits to people's lives.
0: As we know, this market is skyrocketing. For example, in 2021, people and companies bought almost $2 billion dollars of carbon offsets, almost four times what they spent the year before. That's nothing compared to what countries spend on offsets. It's around 750 billion. So this all sounds good on paper, but are offsets really keeping out as much CO2 as they promise?
1: No, no they aren't. This is what I've studied for the last 20 years and across multiple generations of offset projects and offset programs. Many of the credits available on the market don't represent real emissions reductions. At the time that I was studying this, the Indian federal government as well as state governments were really interested in building out wind power. And there were many subsidies and incentives for the technology.
0: But at the same time, European countries wanted to build that same wind power to offset their emissions, which raises the question, did these wind farms even need the money from the offset program?
1: A buyer of these credits should not get credit for paying someone to do what they would have done anyway. I ended up speaking to one consultant who was helping a wind developer develop a project and he said that he would at times create two different financial assessments for the same project where he would do one that showed that the project is cost effective, and he would send that to the bank in their application for a loan. And then he would do another one that showed that the project is not cost effective, and he would send that to the UN in their application to be included in the Kyoto Protocols Offset Program. It's really important that the offset income is really making reductions happen that wouldn't have happened otherwise. And that's called additionality. Most of the forest projects are being credited not for doing something but for not doing something not deforesting and not aggressively harvesting and that means you know it's very easy to tell a story of a high risk of deforestation and harvesting so you can generate lots of credits early on verifiers and auditors are not used to making an assessment as to whether the project developer is lying or not. And what that means is that landowners can now get paid offsets for what they would have done anyway. And there's a lot of evidence that this is in fact what's going on. Another quality issue with these projects is the risk that the carbon that you're storing Will be released back to the atmosphere uh, through wildfire or a beetle outbreak. But there's another problem of leakage.
0: Leakage means that sometimes these projects don't stop carbon emissions, so much as move them around. Say your offset purchase really does protect a tract of trees that was otherwise going to be logged. If timber companies can just log a different plot of land instead, then what did the offset save?
1: I did one study of this and found that just from the leakage accounting, the projects most likely are overcrediting by three or four times.
0: If we make the wrong assumptions in calculating offsets, buyers are going to think they've cancelled out their emissions, when in reality, they haven't.
1: I think offsets are sort of a perfect storm for poor quality. The buyer wants cheap credits, the seller wants to sell more credits for doing less. The third party verifier wants to be hired again, and the registries themselves are competing with one another. They're in the business of generating credits. So you don't have future generations or the climate at the table in this market. And I think that there's a real need for researchers to shine a really bright light on what's really happening on the ground to make sure that we aren't just reducing emissions on paper.
0: I don't think it's a bad thing that companies want to be carbon neutral, but if they can't reduce their emissions to zero, then should they just say, oh well, nothing we can do?
1: What I would love to see is, instead of treating these credits as offsets, where you can call your business carbon neutral, (laughs) which is not accurate, you disclose how much you're emitting, how much you've reduced your own emissions, and then also, instead of the offset market, pay into different funds to support effective climate mitigation. You could see that there are two main problems with offsets. One is the quality issues that we discussed, and then there's more of a question of, aren't you always responsible for your emissions? Can you emit carbon and then pay someone else and be absolved from being responsible for your emissions? Both issues are real issues.
0: Can you emit carbon and then pay someone else and be absolved from being responsible for your emissions? That's a great question, and one that I keep thinking about here in New Zealand. Or in our case, it's large emitters buying up farmland to offset their own business activity. It does not drive real change. It moves the problem to the land, which negatively impacts food security and this country's biggest export check, and negatively impacts our rural communities. I don't see how the current ETS settings in this country, which allows 100% of offsetting, is going to benefit anyone in the long term. That's all from me this week. Thank you for listening. And catch you next time.